The reading of God's Word this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, and you can find that on your pew Bible on page 944, um, if you have that. Let's give our attention now to God's holy and inerrant Word then. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1 and going down to verse 11. There is therefore now no condemnation... For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you." The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Again, I want to say welcome, and um, especially if you're, if you're visiting with us here this morning. Um, if there's anything that we can do for you, especially if you're new here, uh, please come find me or, or Nathan who is here, uh, or anyone that was greeting you at the door, and let us know any of the ways in which we can serve you. Um, it is always a privilege for me to be at Grace Community, and I, I love when I'm asked to come and be here. The, the strange thing is, is, is Tom Phillips asked me in January about the, this date, and I don't know, through an, an iOS update or a new phone, some things got lost in the, you know, in the iCloud somewhere, and uh, I had one of those panic attacks about mid-October when Nathan was kind of saying, hey, you're here for November, right? And I was like, What? Uh, yes, I am, because he had a panic attack when I questioned him. So, um, one, I'm glad that in God's providence, uh, I didn't double book myself and all that kind of stuff. So, I'm glad to be here, and um, I, I enjoy my friendship with Nathan and his family in this church. And thank you for your support and the work that we do on the college campus. Um, things are going very well, and God has, has been very faithful and good to us. And so if you can continue to pray for us, we would greatly appreciate it. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to the passage that was read, Romans chapter 8. And as you're turning there, every year in RUF, or actually twice a year, we go to, to staff training. And the last couple of years uh, at staff training, the last morning that we're together, um, They've been bringing guys in to speak, kind of some seasoned ministers who've been in the, in the pastorate for 20, 30, 40 years, to kind of just give some counsel and some advice and just kind of talk to 
us campus ministers about what they've learned, what they've struggled, just, you know, it's kind of been a, a thing that uh, we, we, you know, really look forward to on those Friday mornings. And last December, uh, Darwin Jordan, um, he's a pastor in our denomination in, in Fort Worth, he came and he kind of gave one of his talks about what he's learned in, in just being a pastor, being in ministry. And one of the things that was unique about his talk was that he was very open and honest about things that he struggled with in ministry. And one of the things that he struggled with was assurance. Uh, just ever since he was a young kid, all the way into his you know, 30th year as being in the ministry, he just struggled with assurance, with that reality of never feeling like he's been able to do enough for God or to love his people well, or to serve his family well. He's just always lacked security. He's always lacked that assurance. And I remember he, he, he was asked one time if he could go back in, in history and be anybody who's ever lived, you know, up to the present, all the way into the past. Darwin Jordan, without hesitation, said, I would go back and I would be the thief on the cross. I thought, what a very interesting person to go and be. A thief on the cross. And he said, the reason why I would go and be the thief on the cross is because he is the only man who knew absolutely for certain that he was going to heaven. Because literally Jesus, standing next to him, said, today you, looking at him, will be with me in paradise. And so Darwin Jordan said, that's who I want to be. I would want to be the thief on the cross to have that kind of assurance, to have that kind of security. And here's the thing. I know that for many of us, when we kind of take a survey of our life, we often get to the point where we realize we're not where we want to be, or we're not where we thought we would be, especially if we've been a Christian for any length of time. And you can begin to wonder, because you haven't made the progress that you thought, or because you're not where you want to be, or that place that you want to be, it's so far in the distance that you, you just feel like giving up. There's a temptation to believe that if, if you're there, that somehow God is disappointed and He just merely tolerates you. Because we haven't succeeded very well in the Christian life, we tend to think that we've, we're just running up this deficit with God. And I don't know about you, but when you, when you run up against your own sin and just your own brokenness, there's that voice in your head that says, I mean, who are you kidding? No one, if they were a Christian, would act the way that you act. Like, no one would behave the way in which you behave. You know God doesn't love you. And you know that He merely tolerates you. You know that He's constantly disappointed in you. Have you ever heard that voice? Have you ever listened to it and actually started to believe it? Paul in Romans chapter 8, he's going to unpack what Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Stott, two just you know, unbelievable pastors and theologians have said he, that this whole chapter is about security. It's about assurance. 
like Paul is going to unpack that you don't have to be the thief on the cross to know that Jesus loves you, that Jesus is for you, and that Jesus is actually at work in you. If you struggle with assurance, if you struggle with just your own security and the confidence that only comes in Jesus, then this chapter is for you this morning. So let me pray before we consider this unbelievable chapter and ask God to give us help and to give us understanding. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true and that your word is like food. And so we ask, uh, Lord Jesus, that you would take your word this morning and you would feed us by it. And I do pray as we consider this, just this remarkable chapter of the goodness of the gospel, that if there is a struggling heart here this morning, if there is someone who doubts whether or not you love them, if there's someone here who is just deeply insecure and constantly feels their own inadequacies to where it drives them to despair and to despondency, Or if there's someone here who's simply unconvinced that Jesus is good or that God is at work, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would take uh, these 11 verses and you would convince us and that you would write these truths upon all of our hearts. We can't do that on our own, so Holy Spirit, we need you to come and do these things for us, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm not sure if you've come across the book uh, by Scott Sauls. He's a a pastor in Nashville called Jesus Outside the Lines. In one of his chapters, he he tells a story about um, a a French philosopher um, named Jean-Paul Sartre. Now, I I wish I could tell you that I've I've read him. I haven't, so that's why I'm quoting from Scott. (laughs) I can't impress you with the the things that I've read because I read people like Scott who reads people like Jean-Paul. But he tells this, Jean-Paul, in one of his, you know, volumes, he's this philosopher, he tells this story or a little parable about the feeling that someone gets when you're being watched. You know that feeling like, you know, if you're in the library or at Starbucks and you're just, you're by yourself and all of a sudden you feel those penetrating eyes and all of a sudden this overwhelming feeling of guilt or, or shame or, or condemnation just comes over you? Well, Jean-Paul, he, he's getting at that feeling. He tells a parable. It's a parable about a man who goes and he sits in the park and he thinks he's by himself. And he's just, he's on a park bench and he's enjoying the beauty that surrounds him. He's enjoying the sounds. He's enjoying the cool air. He's just, he's loving life. And then all of a sudden, off in the distance, he sees someone. And that threatening gaze just, it unnerves him. And all of a sudden, he's anxious. He feels shame. He feels guilt. He feels all of his own inadequacies. He feels like he's being condemned and judged. And then as he, and and, and he hasn't quite looked directly at the object in the distance. And finally, he musters up the strength to look over at this object. 
And he realizes that it's not a person in the distance, but it's a mannequin. And as soon as he realizes it's a mannequin, that it's not a real person, the feeling of shame and guilt and all the anxiety and the judgment, condemnation, it just disappears. And he goes back to enjoying the park. And I thought about that story when I first read it, that we're like the fearful man in the park. I mean, every single one of us knows the reality and the fear that comes over us when we're under the scrutiny or gaze of someone else. Whether it's real or perceived, we know how threatening it really is. The possibility that someone could be judging me or condemning me, or the fact that I don't measure up even to my own standard, that feeling, whether it's real or perceived, it's unnerving. And it creates all sorts of emotions and anxiety, and we want to escape the threatening gaze as soon as possible. And here's what I want you to think about. Romans chapter 8 is coming off the heels of Romans chapter 7. The big theme in Romans chapter 7 is the law. Paul has been trying to convince his readers that the law, when you're under its scrutiny, when you're under its gaze, it condemns you. It judges you because you don't measure up. I don't measure up. And what Paul is trying to show us in Romans 7 is that the law, it can't cleanse you. It can't tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It can't walk you into heaven. The law, it can't make you right before God. It can't justify you. And what Paul's going to do in Romans chapter 8, is is when we arrive in Romans chapter 8, he's basically going to say that You're no longer under the scrutiny of the law. You're no longer under its condemnation. He's going to show us, in a sense, that the law is like the mannequin in the park. Because when you're under its scrutiny, there's shame, there's guilt, because the law is holy and righteous and good, and we never measure up. It's not the law's problem. It's the fault is with us. It's because we're sinful. And so Paul in Romans chapter 8, he's going going to show us that when you come out from under the scrutiny of the law, when you come out from underneath the condemnation of the law, there is great freedom. Paul is going to show us in Romans chapter 8 that it was God who did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And because of this, because of the good news of what God has done for us, we can actually sit in the park and begin to enjoy life. And so what I want to do this morning as we consider this unbelievable passage is I want to look at two things. I want to first look at freedom accomplished, and then secondly, freedom applied. That's where we're going this morning. First, freedom accomplished. Oftentimes, if you open up your Bible and you get to any sort of chapter, there are these you know, little subtitles that you might see over a particular chapter. And, and for the most part, those 
those titles are helpful. They're, they're trying to get at the main theme of that chapter. And if you were to look, I would imagine in most Bibles, Romans chapter 8, it, it typically reads life in the Spirit. And for the most part, that is true. You, Paul does talk about life in the Spirit. But I think oftentimes we miss things when we only focus in on that title Because did you notice that in these 11 verses, that it's not just the Spirit who shows up, but it's God the Father and God the Son as well? In other words, the entire Trinity is just saturated in all of Romans chapter 8. And what I want you to understand when we talk about freedom that is accomplished, is that God is the one who accomplishes our freedom for us. Like the great work of our freedom is always a Trinitarian work. In other words, our freedom is accomplished by all three persons of the Trinity. The three persons of the Godhead are actively involved in this great rescue mission. And so what I want to do is I just want to look at how those three show up in Romans chapter 8. Because specifically, each one of the persons of the Trinity are involved. So how is the Father involved in this great rescue mission? How does the Father accomplish our freedom? Well, look again at verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now, what did the Father do that the law weakened by the flesh could not do? The Father sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Our freedom is accomplished because it was the Father who sent Jesus. Why? Because it is the Father who loves sinners. If you lack the assurance of God's love this morning, then I want you to understand that it was the Father who sent Jesus on your behalf. If you lack the confidence to know whether or not God is for you, He's the one who sent Jesus. On your behalf to do what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. In other words, there is this sacrificial love of the Father that we often forget. Because you have to realize, before Jesus became a man, He and the Father and the Holy Spirit dwelt in perfect harmony. There was blessing and happiness and love and joy and pleasure and intimacy that was enjoyed prior to Jesus becoming the God-man. And what you need to see is that our freedom is accomplished through the sacrificial love of the Father. That He would send Jesus to do for sinners what we could not do for ourselves. What you need to understand is that the Father who should condemn every single one of us because when the scrutiny of the law, when its gaze is over us, we are guilty. 
And we deserve His wrath. And yet, He sent Jesus. And when Jesus came under the scrutiny of the law, Jesus never wavered one iota to the left or to the right. He obeyed perfectly. And He did not deserve condemnation. But the Father sent Him to be condemned on our behalf for our sin. He kept it perfectly, but the Father's wrath for our sin falls on Him and not on us. This means that if you're in Christ this morning, that if you're trusting in Jesus, you're safe. The wrath of the Father, it can't touch you. It means that it would be unjust of God to condemn you for sins that His Son has already paid for. It means that our Father in Heaven will not demand payment twice for the same sin. The Father in Heaven, He loves you because He sent Jesus to be condemned on our behalf. But what about the Son? What do we learn about Jesus the Son? Look again at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is just one of those comforting, probably one of the most assuring verses in, in all of the Scriptures. Because Paul is saying that if you're in Jesus, what's true of Jesus is also true of you. And what Paul is trying to show us, especially off the heels of Romans 7, is that if we are in Christ, we can't be condemned for past sins, for present sins, or for future sins. God's wrath, it can't touch you. That is what Jesus has accomplished for you. The freedom that Jesus has accomplished for us I mean, it's unbelievable. I don't know if any of you in here are rugby fans. By your response, I can see no. <laughs> However, rugby's coming to America, so watch out. I just read that the other day. Um, a couple weeks ago, the Rugby World Cup was taking place over in the United Kingdom, and the New Zealand team, which is they're, they're known as the All Blacks, uh, they won the World Cup. They beat Australia in this kind of just big epic match. You know, they're two big great rivals, and um, and the New Zealand All Black team came out on top. And there was this story about after the ceremony, when when the All Blacks were being honored, being crowned, being you know um, given their gold medal for winning the World Cup. You know, their fans were there going crazy, and they were kind of just making the circuit around the stadium, waving to their fans, and, and they were at, most of them were on their way out into the locker room when all of a sudden their most famous player, kind of the, the, just their hero, you know, kind of like the LeBron James or, you know, whoever your, your favorite star would be of rugby, is a guy by the name of Sonny Bill Williams. He's their most famous player, he's their champion, he's their hero. He was one of the last guys to walk off the field. And right before he's about to walk into the locker room, a fan, a 14-year-old boy by the name of Charlie Line, 
like breaks through and he runs out and all he wants to do is just embrace his hero. He's about two, maybe three feet from like about to hug Sonny Bill Williams when a security guard like takes him out, like rugby style takes him out. And Charlie Lyon, he's a 14-year-old kid, is just leveled by this security guard. And what happens next, you literally, you, you could not make this up. Sonny Bill Williams goes over to Charlie Lyon, and he picks him up. He puts his arm around him. He gets one of the security guys to take his picture with him. Then he walks him over, he's probably 40 or 50 yards from, from, his, from his seats. And Sonny Bill Williams, he walks him escorts him back over to his mom and to his brothers, gives him another hug, allows his family to take some pictures with him. And before he says goodbye to Charlie, he takes off his gold medal and he puts it over Charlie Lyon and he walks off. You have a fan in Charlie Lyon who should have been prosecuted. The security guard had every right to take him out. He was just doing his job. And yet, Charlie Lyon is hugged, embraced, escorted to safety, and then given a token of grace and mercy that he did not earn or did not deserve. And I thought, man, what a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Because you see, every single one of us are Charlie Lyon. We trespass where we do not belong. And the law is the security guard. It will always take us out. And then there's our hero. Our great champion. Jesus, He comes and He he picks us up. Does He not? And He embraces us. Haven't we just been singing about Jesus embracing us as sinners? And then He escorts us to safety. And then He puts on us a gold medal. It's His righteousness. It's it's the gold medal of His performance. We did not earn it. We do not deserve it. And yet Jesus, He covers us in His pure, undefiled righteousness. Jesus accomplishes our great freedom. Sinclair Ferguson once said, there is no possibility for condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And I want to push us on that for a second. Because the free, justifying love of Jesus is at times unbelievable. People tried to explain away the Sonny Bill Williams story. (laughs) And oftentimes we can try and explain away the free, justifying love of Jesus Christ. Because here's the reality. We as Christians are still very capable of doing some very horrific things, are we not? In our denomination, we have um, 
We adopt certain creeds and confessions that are just basic summaries of Christian doctrine that we believe that the Scriptures teach. They're not infallible by any means, but those are creeds and confessions that we uphold to and, and believe. And there's a, there's a confession called the Westminster Confession of Faith, and there's a chapter, chapter 17, on the perseverance of the saints. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Westminster. And, and what it essentially says is this, is that on the one hand, if you are in Christ, if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you will persevere to the end. Because God will not let you go. You are safe. God who began a good work in you, He will complete it. So we know that in the end, we are safe. But in that very same chapter, in the section right below it, it says this, Nevertheless, Christians may, through the temptation of Satan and of the world and the prevailing corruption of sin within us, fall into grievous sins. Their consciences may be wounded. They may hurt and scandalize others. If you are in Christ, you are safe. There's no possibility for condemnation. And as I was studying this this week, I realized something. I love Romans chapter 8, verse 1 for me. It's a go-to passage in my heart. And I'm sure everyone in here loves it for themselves as well. But have you ever found yourself not believing Romans 8, 1 for someone else? Especially if that someone else has perhaps hurt or even scandalized you? The reality that's in my own heart is that in my own sin and self-righteousness, I can often condemn others whom Jesus will not. And I was so convicted of that this week as I was studying this because I realized that if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you have trusted in Him for His saving grace. There's no possibility for condemnation. Like if you are in Christ and you take drugs, there is no condemnation. If you are in Christ and murder someone, there's no possibility for condemnation. Like I said, we want to explain away the free, justifying love of the gospel, but the reality is this. Paul gives no qualification. He says, if you are in Christ, you're safe. What about the Spirit? Did you notice how Paul contrasts the Spirit with the law? The law is the spirit of sin and death, but the Holy Spirit is life and freedom. The law brings condemnation, but the Holy Spirit brings peace and righteousness. In other words, what Paul is showing us is that what produces life and peace and change in us is the Holy Spirit. This is the same Holy Spirit who hovered over creation 
And when there was chaos and void and darkness, it was the Holy Spirit who brought order and life and light. And that's what, this, that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He brings order and life. He renews and transforms us and sanctifies us. It's the Holy Spirit who brings peace. Do you realize how great peace is? The Holy Spirit is life and with Him comes peace. It means that we can be okay with who we are. Like Nathan said, we can stop stiff-arming people. We can actually stop the PR campaign and allow people to see us for who we really are. Because we're at peace. If you have peace, you can stop the people-pleasing and actually tell people no because you're at peace. We don't have to be the fearful man in the park who is loaded with shame and guilt and the thought that someone is judging and condemning us. Why? Because we have peace. We don't have to fear being rejected or despised or cast out. We have peace because the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is now dwelling inside those who have put their trust in Christ. As you can see, Paul shows us that it is our triune God who accomplishes this great freedom. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who does the work for us, a work that we do not deserve. He alone accomplishes our freedom. So what about freedom applied? What would our response this morning look like to Paul's message here in Romans chapter 8? Because Paul tells us that if God is the one who accomplishes our freedom, then we are actually now free. There is freedom for the believer. So what does freedom from condemnation from sin, from death, actually look like? Do you live under a cloud of constant unworthiness because of the expectations, perhaps, that you have set yourself? Or the expectations that your parents have set for you? Or the expectations that your boss or your friends have set for you? And you never live up to those expectations? Do you always feel like you can't do enough? To please yourself, or to please your spouse, or to please your children, or to please your job, or to please your parents? Do you always feel like you're a disappointment? And knowing that you feel like a disappointment, it crushes you? Do you always fold under constructive criticism? Do you blame shift? And excuse yourself for your own shortcomings? Do you constantly compare yourself to others? The truth of Romans 8 is this, is that we are free from all of that condemnation noise. You can live freely knowing that if Jesus Christ does not condemn you, and if the God who created the heavens and the earth does not condemn you, then no one can condemn you. Not your spouse, not your children, not your boss, not your friends. Not even you can condemn you. 
Not even Satan, who is the great accuser of the brethren, can condemn you. We are freed from all of that condemnation noise. So none of you are rugby fans, but perhaps you're country fans. Do you like, you like Tim McGraw? Any Tim McGraw fans out there? There we go. A couple amens. Tim McGraw has a song, came out a couple years ago, called Live Like You Were Dying. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's a song about a guy who discovers that he has cancer, and that news, it, like, it changes the way in which he lives. And the chorus, you know, it, it goes like this, and I won't, I won't sing it. Maybe Philip can afterwards sing it for you. I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I loved deeper, I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. Someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. When he got the news that cancer was overtaking his life, it changed the way in which he lived. And the question is this, shouldn't the gospel be much more transformational than news of cancer? I mean, shouldn't the reality that we are no longer condemned transform us? Shouldn't the reality that God, who has done this great rescue mission for us, be, like, change the way in which we live? Because it's the gospel that redefines us, that renews us. It's the gospel that frees us. And here's the reality. (laughs) You don't have to live like you are dying if you are a Christian. If you are a Christian, you don't have to live like you are dying. No, Paul tells us that if you are in Christ, you're actually alive. Start living like you are alive. And the reason why we can start living like we are alive is because we have Jesus. Live knowing that you are alive to Jesus. And remember, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your news, your, your good news is, it's unbelievably good news. It's intrinsically good news. And yet, oftentimes, my fearful and doubtful heart, it wants to add qualifications, it wants to add caveats, it wants to explain away that there's no possibility you could be that good and that gracious, and that kind, and that forgiving, and that loving. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take our wandering hearts, our doubtful hearts, our skeptical hearts, and would you convince us of the truth that you love us, and that the work of Jesus Christ is so thorough, and so big, and so vast, that it covers our past, it covers our present, and it will cover our future. 
We can't convince ourselves of these things. So Holy Spirit, we pray that You would strengthen our faith, encourage our faith, and give us eyes and hearts to believe the good news that Jesus really did do for sinners what we could not do for ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.